I invite you to find the scripture passage. It's on your bulletin, or if you have the ESV translation, John chapter 5, verses 19 to 29. And we are going to read this passage out loud together. So we will ask you to join, join with me. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, So this granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And we don't need to tell you that, Lord, but we need you to remind us of that. I pray that we would humble ourselves underneath of your word today. That we would receive the words that Jesus has spoken. I pray that we would understand them and that we would believe them. And so I ask, Lord, that in this part of our service that your Holy Spirit would work to these ends. Thank you for this incredible gift. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Here we are, the last Sunday of 2018. It's a time of year when a lot of us are thinking about just that, time. We remember the year that was past and we look ahead to the year that is still to come. This is the season of New Year's resolutions and reflections and best of lists and so on. 
As we come to the end of 2018, I wonder how many of you are thinking about more than just the end of 2018. I wonder how many of us are thinking about the end of everything. The end of the world, as you, as you might put it. A couple reasons why I'm asking that question. 2018 was another difficult, intense year for planet Earth. I'm not sure if, if any of you are familiar with, with what's called the doomsday clock. It's a, sort of a clock, a half, a quarter of a clock that a group of scientists um, are in charge of. And, it, and it, it, it measures, in their opinion, how relatively close planet Earth is towards a man-made catastrophe that would destroy a large amount of life on Earth, such as a nuclear war. And so they change the time on this clock a lot. It goes forward, it goes backwards. It shows how, they, how close these scientists think we are, relatively speaking, to something stupid like a nuclear war. And in 2018, this past January, they moved the clock forward 30 seconds to two minutes to midnight, 1158. That's the closest the clock has ever been to midnight. Midnight, by the way, is doomsday. 11.58 is the closest it's ever been. It's the same spot that it was at in 1953, at the height of the Cold War. And that's where they think we are. Apparently, according to the experts, planet Earth is a pretty dangerous place to live in 2018, and mankind is dangerously close to destroying ourselves. As Christians, we probably look at this in a bit of a different way, but as 2018 comes to a close, I think as Christians, we have a reason to be thinking about the end of all things as, as we know it. Because doomsday clock or not, God has told us that history is moving towards a definite conclusion. There's a date. God knows the date. Just think about that. It has a month and a day and a time associated with it. God knows exactly the time on the clock when the trumpet's going to blow and this age of human history is going to come to an end. And after that, a completely different age of history will begin. The age to come when God's kingdom arrives here on earth in its fullness as it is in heaven. And so as we leave behind 2018 and as we move into 2019, that means we are one year closer to this appointment with divine destiny. We're one year closer to the kingdom come. I don't know if you think that way. If this sounds morbid to you, I don't think it is. I think this is the way that we should think. Because we're looking to his promise. We're looking to the return of the king. And every year that passes is one year closer. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning as we make our final stop in this, this part of the series. Remember, we're, we're on a, a big series. Maybe you're joining us for one of the first weeks. We, we started in September. It's going to go until April. And it's called, You Are Here, Finding Our Place in the Biggest Story Ever Told. In the first part of the series, we looked at the big story of the Bible as it unfolded up until Jesus and how it all holds together, what the plot structure of the Bible is. And then in these eight weeks, in November and December, we've been looking at all the ways that Jesus fulfills this story of the Bible, all the ways that Jesus reveals himself as the main character of the story of the Bible. 
And then next Sunday, we kick off the next leg of our series, which I will tell you about then. You'll have to come back. And so we make our final stop in this part of the series this morning. We've been exploring how Jesus is the main character of the story of the Bible. And today what we're going to be seeing is how Jesus is the main character of the end of the story. How Jesus is going to be the the main character when this age of human history comes to an end and the age to come begins. And so this morning we're going to be exploring how Jesus is the judge and the life giver of the age to come. Now we're going to be spending some time this morning in John chapter 5, which we just read. That's our main passage this morning in which Jesus explains these things to us. He explains what, this, what these words mean. What does it mean that he's the judge? What does it mean that he's the life giver? He's going to tell us. But in order to understand John chapter 5, we need to go back to the Old Testament and we need to refresh ourselves in how the Jewish people that Jesus was talking to, how they understood these things. What what did they expect was going to happen in the last days? How did the Jewish people Jesus was speaking with expect things to unfold as this age came to an end and the age to come begin? And so we need to understand that in order to really understand the words of Christ in John 5. So we're going to go back to the book of Daniel and we're going to look at a couple of passages there that really will help us, help give us this background that we need to have. So the first stop is Daniel chapter 7. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, Daniel chapter 7. In this chapter, Daniel gets a vision. And this vision represents the way that human history is going to unfold in this present age until it comes to its conclusion and the age to come begins. And like, like many visions that Daniel has or that we see in, in some of the other prophets, and then we see again in the book of Revelation, it's, it's kind of terrifying, it's big, it's epic, it's literally apocalyptic. And Daniel sees this vision of four beasts. We later learn that these beasts represent kings or kingdoms, and there's, there's a succession of them. And the fourth beast is, is worse than all the others. He's t- terrifying. He's got horns on his head, and then he grows this new horn on his head, and this horn has a mouth and eyes, and it talks. I told you it was weird. And this horn says it speaks great things, we see in Daniel 7, verse 8. Down in verse 21, we we hear how this horn represents a, a specific king. This horn is a king who persecutes God's people. And then we read, beginning in verse 9, Daniel 7, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, that's what a title for God. God, the Ancient of Days, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned by fire. The picture Daniel gives us here is this terrifying picture of judgment day. God is sitting in judgment. And God passes judgment on this beast and its horn that 
persecutes his people and says things it shouldn't say. And this beast is destroyed. And then verse 13 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this son of man is completely different from anything that's come before him. His kingdom doesn't end. It doesn't get destroyed. This son of man is able to approach the ancient of days and not be incinerated. When Daniel says in, in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, it, it, it kind of might sound like if you're reading through Daniel chapter 7, you might be forgiven for thinking that verse 13 begins a new vision. So in other words, he had this vision about beasts and judgment day. Verse 13 begins a new vision. I had a new vision. This new vision was about the son of man. But as you read through the rest of the chapter, you realize that, that these are actually all just part of one vision. And so here's the picture we get when we put them together. Daniel sees human history unfolding. Four kingdoms. And the fourth kingdom has a specific king who comes, who harms and persecutes God's people. But then God intervenes. He brings judgment day. He sits in judgment. He destroys this kingdom. And then he gives all authority and all kingship into the hands of the son of man. And so the final judgment happens and then the Son of Man reigns forever with his saints. And you can read that in the rest of that chapter, how he reigns forever and his saints reign with him. This parallels, by the way, the, the vision of, this, of the images in Daniel chapter 2, four kingdoms, and then comes a kingdom that never ends. And so this is really the basic understanding of how the Jewish people thought history was going to unfold and how the age to come was going to begin. Human kingdoms, judgment day, the age to come happens after that, where the Messiah reigns forever. But there, there's, there's just a little bit more to this picture that we need to see to really understand the whole thing. And that comes in Daniel chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles open there, you can turn over to Daniel chapter 12. So... I know I said 12, but just to, to, to kind of give us a picture of where we've been. In Daniel chapter 11, we've got this long extended vision of two kings, a king of the south and a king of the north. And man, there's so much here. I'd love to preach through Daniel someday. But at, as we get to the end of Daniel chapter 11, we're reading about this person, this king. And as you read about this king, he sounds an awful lot like that that little horn we read about in Daniel chapter 7, right? So Daniel 7, remember we read about the horn, who's got a big mouth, he speaks things, great things, and he persecutes God's people. In Daniel chapter 11, we're reading about a king doing the same thing. So it kind of sounds like it's just a different way of talking about the same guy. And then we read in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people is an angel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. 
But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Do you remember chapter seven talked about God sitting in judgment and opening books? Here we have an echo of that. Everyone whose name is found written in a book is going to be delivered. And then it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So these verses are really talking about a very similar set of, of events as we read about in Daniel chapter 7. It's talking about the final judgment. In chapter 7, we read about books that were opened and kings and kingdoms who were judged. And here in Daniel chapter 12, it is individual people who are being judged. And verse 2 tells us something that was very unexpected in a lot of ways. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Alongside of the final judgment is the resurrection from the dead. People who died are going to be raised to life. This is something, by the way, that, that the Old Testament scriptures only hint at. So the Old Testament scriptures very clearly tell us that after we die, our souls live on. But there's, there's only little hints, little clues of, of this idea that, that Daniel is the first one to really speak clearly about. That no, we're going to be resurrected from the dead. We're, we're, we're going to come back from the dead. And those who are righteous will be awarded with eternal life. And they're going to get to live with the Messiah in his kingdom forever. And those who are not righteous are going to endure eternal punishment, shame, and everlasting contempt. So this really just adds to, to what we're trying to do here is just sketch out an understanding from, from Daniel of, of what the end times were going to be like. Things are going to get bad, and then there's going to be a final judgment. And at that final judgment, God is going to give some people who he will raise from the dead, he's going to give them eternal life. But in order to get eternal life, you have to pass the final judgment. That's a really important statement. We're going to come back to this later. It's only the righteous who receive eternal life. The courtroom of heaven needs to find you not guilty and if that doesn't happen, if, the, if God's judgment day, if God's courtroom finds you guilty, you don't get eternal life. And so it goes without saying that these ideas shaped the, the, the thinking, they shaped the hopes, they shaped the lives of the people of Jesus' day. Right? In, in, the, in the years up to between Daniel and the time of Jesus, the Jewish people wrote a lot about these things. They thought a lot about these things. They it really framed the way that they lived. They wanted to live a righteous life. Why? So that at the final judgment, God would declare them to be righteous. So that God would give them eternal life. So that they got to share in the age to come with the Messiah. That was their hope. So you see, you see that how that becomes very personal? I gotta be righteous so that I get eternal life. So with this sketch in the back of our minds, with this kind of understanding, this is 
generally, in rough sketches, how the Jewish people thought. Let's turn back to John chapter 5. And we're going to hear Jesus talk to the Jewish religious leaders about these exact things. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. The context of John 5 if you start reading John 5 at the beginning, you're not expecting it's going to turn into a discussion about the final judgment and the resurrection. It starts off as a discussion about the Sabbath. That's where it begins. John 5, Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath. And the Jewish religious leader says, you can't do that. That's working. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, Jesus. And so Jesus explains to them why it's okay for him to work on the Sabbath, why he's allowed. You know what he says? Essentially, I'm summing it up for you. You can read the rest of the chapter later. But what Jesus essentially says is, God works on the Sabbath, and I'm the son of God, so I'm allowed to work on the Sabbath. That's basically what he says. And so the Jews get upset, and they want to kill him, because that's blasphemy, what they thought. And so Jesus says, in verse 19 and 20, he keeps explaining it further, That as the son of God, he can do whatever God does. Verse 19, he says, whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And then he says this in verse 20, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So in other words, Jesus is saying to them, making a lame man walk on the Sabbath is just the beginning As the son of God, I, Jesus speaking here, am going to do greater works than this. Works that only God can do. And you're going to marvel. Making a lame man walk is just the tip of the iceberg of what you're going to see Jesus do. So... What are these greater works that Jesus is going to do? I mean, making a lame man walk is pretty amazing. How can you do greater works than that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. What's greater than making a lame man walk? Making a dead man live again. And Jesus says, I'm going to do that too. God is the only one who can do that. Which means Jesus can do that. Because he's the son of God. Now when you hear about Jesus giving life to the dead, what do you think think about? What comes to your mind right away? I wonder if what we think about right away is Lazarus. Right? It happens just a few chapters later. Lazarus, dead in the grave, three days. Jesus calls him forth, he comes out. And, And Lazarus fits in here. But the Jewish people listening to Jesus talk When he starts talking about raising people from the dead, what are they going to think about right away? They're going to think about Daniel chapter 12, which we just read. They're going to be thinking about the resurrection from the dead that happens at the end of this age, when the age to come begins. They're going to be thinking about the resurrection from the dead that happens at the last judgment. And Jesus is saying here that as the son of God, he is the one that's going to be doing that. He is the one that's going to be giving people life in that resurrection. And that's what Jesus confirms for us. If you go down, if you look down at verse 28 and 29, 
Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, it's talking about himself, and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is basically quoting in, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 right there. And he's just putting it in slightly different words. And he's saying, I'm going to be the one doing that. You've heard that God is going to raise people from the dead. Guess who's actually going to be the one doing that? Me. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is going to be the one calling the dead forth from their graves. And Jesus is going to be the one giving eternal life to those who deserve it. Now you'll remember as we looked in Daniel that the resurrection from the dead is connected to the last judgment, right? Because it's at the last judgment that you decide, or that God decides who gets eternal life. So it's not a surprise that in verse 22, Jesus goes right from this idea of giving people life to the idea of judgment. Look in verse 22. What he says here is just stunning. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Jesus is not just the life giver. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one that's going to be evaluating people. Jesus is going to be the one sitting on the throne, deciding who gets eternal life and who does not. Jesus makes this even more clear down in verse 27. And he, which is God the Father, has given him, God the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is who? The son of man. Do you remember in, in Daniel's vision, we read about the son of man who comes and approaches God's throne and it doesn't get incinerated, but he actually is given authority and given a kingdom. Jesus says, that's me. He's that son of man that Daniel was talking about. It's Jesus. He's this divine king. And God the father has given him authority to execute judgment. God has appointed him to be the one who will be performing the final judgment and giving people life in the age to come. So Jesus has taken this in a direction no one was expecting. Right? This started off with the Pharisees criticizing Jesus for healing a guy on the Sabbath. And Jesus has just informed his critics that he's going to be the person deciding their eternal destiny. I mean, talk about turning the tables, hey? Talk, talk about just flipping it around. Right? The, the, the Pharisees thought Jesus was, you know, being, they were the lawyers prosecuting him. And instead, Jesus has thrown them in the box. And he says, I'm actually the judge. I get to decide whether or not you get eternal life. I'm judging you. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what Jesus has done. And if he stopped here, this would be amazing. If it stopped here, that would be enough of a sermon just to say, wow, Jesus is the judge at the end times. Jesus is the giver of life in the age to come. That's amazing. But that's not all that Jesus says. Jesus goes further here. Because Jesus tells us next that this work he's been describing, this work of judgment and of giving life is not something that he's just going to do at the end of the age this is something Jesus has already begun doing. And we see this in this mind-boggling statement in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life. Stop there. Whoever hears his word and believes God who God sent him has eternal life. There's two reasons that these, these words are just incredible. First, Jesus says eternal life is given to those who what? Believe. That's it. Not to those who work. Not to those who keep the law perfectly. Not to those who have a, a squeaky clean track record. But no, to those who hear and believe. They're the ones who are given eternal life. I mean, that's, that's the gospel, right? We're saved by grace through faith, believing. And it's right there. So that's shocking. But the second shocking thing Jesus says is that whoever hears and believes has eternal life. Present tense. See why grammar matters? Kids, pay attention in school. Your eternal destiny hangs on grammar. Whoever hears and believes not will have eternal life, but today has eternal life. How can that happen? How can you receive eternal life before the final judgment? That's the question that people would have been asking. You can even see someone saying, no, Jesus, it doesn't work that way. You don't get eternal life until you've lived your whole life here. And then you go to the final judgment. And then God looks at your whole life and says, yes, you have been a righteous person. And then, maybe then, you'll get eternal life. But that's not what Jesus says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, right now, eternal life. And then listen to what he says next, verse 24. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Oh, it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around how, how table-turning this is, how revolutionary this is to Jesus' first hearers. That if we hear and believe the words of Christ, we get eternal life because we have skipped over judgment day. Judgment day does not apply to those who believe in Jesus. They do not come into judgment. What Jesus is describing here, if you imagine there's like this line and here's judgment day and here's the age to come and we're kind of marching towards that. He says, you believe in me and it's like we get picked up, flown right over top of judgment day and dropped on the other side. And we don't have to go through it. We don't have to endure it. And we already are living in the age to come. That's the sense of what he says that we've passed from death to life. Our bodies haven't been resurrected, but our souls have been. We have already begun to experience eternal life on the inside. And maybe we're so used to hearing this. Maybe, maybe you, we're so used to John 3.16 that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we don't get that. They thought eternal life was this thing they had to wait for. And Jesus says, no, you have it now. It started already. So what Jesus is getting at in verse 25, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Right? The hour is coming in terms of our bodies. Right, Our, our bodies being resurrected. That's still coming. But the hour that's here is the hour that so many of you in this room have experienced. If you believe in Jesus in this room, it's because you had a moment where you were dead and then you heard the voice of the Son of God. You heard the word being read or the gospel being explained and you heard it and you believed and you live. You have experienced the resurrection on the inside if you know Jesus. That hour is already here. There's still some questions though, right? How does this happen? How, how can God just say, you don't have to go through judgment day. I'm going to drop you on the other side. How can he just do that? How can God reward us for living a righteous life if we, if we haven't lived our whole life yet? By what basis does God just give people eternal life? And the answer to these questions is the cross the cross of Jesus Christ. The reason why we get to skip over judgment day is because on the cross, Jesus endured judgment day for us. Do you remember that as Jesus hung on the cross, some things happened? The sun went dark, darkness covered the land. The earth shook. When Jesus died, actually some of the tombs were opened. Some people actually were resurrected, went into the city. Talks about in Matthew 27. Those aren't just random events. Those are all things in the Old Testament associated with judgment day. The day of the Lord. When God comes to judge sin. And so we should understand that when Jesus died on the cross, that was judgment day for all who believe. God judged Jesus for our sin. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, as Isaiah 53 verse 6 says. So if you believe in Jesus, you don't come into judgment and it's not just because you get exempted from judgment day. It's because Jesus endured judgment day in your place. And so you don't have to wait for the end of your life to receive the reward, to receive eternal life, because Jesus earned that at the end of his life. He gives it to you as a gift. We don't have to live a perfectly righteous life to receive eternal life because Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life for us. And he gives that righteous status to us as a gift. I don't know if you were here in the series on Philippians, if you remember the idea there about being righteous in Jesus. And one of the best ways of thinking, to try to understand this is of, of team sports. Jesus is like a team captain. And he goes out and he scores all of the goals single-handedly while we just sit on the bench. And then he puts a championship ring on each of our fingers and we get to carry the trophy home. That's what it's like. Jesus is righteous for us. 
and God counts us righteous in him. This is called justification in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.21 sums this up. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So if you trust in Jesus, judgment day is not an event in the future that you need to be scared about. Judgment day is an event in the past. It happened around 33 AD. God already judged Jesus for your sin. God has already given you the status of righteous because of what Jesus did. And so you've been dropped on the other side of judgment day. You do not come into judgment. You've already been given the passing grade. You've already been declared righteous and you're already enjoying eternal life. Now there's so much here that I just want us to soak in because what this is telling us is that these normal basics of the Christian life, like being forgiven, having eternal life, these things are actually the result of the events of an age to come being poured back into this age. And it's just, it's mind blowing. And we need to take a whole week next week to try to still sort out what does that mean for us? And what does that mean for where we are in our story? And we're going to do that because there's a lot here. But today I want us just to end here by turning our eyes on Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, the one who does these things. Jesus, the one who gives life and the one who judges at the end of this age. Jesus, the one who lived a righteous life for us. Jesus, the one who stepped in and endured judgment day on our behalf. Jesus, the one who makes us forgiven and justified. And Jesus, the one who has already given us eternal life. Here's what's so significant about this. For the past Several weeks we've been hearing about how Jesus is the main character of the story of the Bible. How Jesus fulfills all of these roles that the Bible speaks about. Prophet, priest, king, offspring of Adam, son of David. Here's the thing. All of these roles are roles that some of the people, most of the people thought would have been fulfilled by a man. David was a son. or David was a man. His son's going to be a man. Priest was a son or was a man. We need, a, we need another man to be a high priest. All of these roles are roles that people thought men were going to fulfill. But here in John 5, Jesus is telling us that he's stepping in and fulfilling roles that no one thought a man was ever going to fulfill. Everyone thought only God can do these things. Only God can judge. Only God can give life. And Jesus is saying as the son of God, he's going to do these things. He is God. That's what this means. But I hope you're seeing here that this is showing us how only Jesus can be the main character of the story of the Bible. Only someone who's fully God and fully man can, can be the one person who gets to be both the second Adam and the judge of all the earth. Both God and man together in one person who because he is both, he gets to hold the center stage. He gets to do what we should have done but failed to do. And he gets to do what only God can do. And he gets to carry that all the way into the age to come. 
I hope you're seeing here the supremacy of Jesus. This really is all about Jesus in ways more than we ever could have imagined. So let's take that home with us today. Jesus is the main character. From first, from from, from being the second Adam, from, from Adam to the age to come and the judge of all the earth. He's the main character, which means that we are not. This story, going to remind us again about this, this story that we are a part of is not about us. We're just supporting characters in this biggest story ever told. From first to last, this has always all been about the main character, Jesus Christ. And this is the part of the message where I, I usually talk about how we apply this to our lives. And you want a truth that has a million practical applications? It's the truth that it's not about you. You want to see a, a difference in the way you feel, a difference in the way that you act, a difference in the way you react to other people? Embrace the truth that it's not about you. Embrace the truth that your life is just part of a big story that is all about someone else whose name is Jesus Christ. Embrace that the purpose of your life is to make Jesus look good. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Think of 1 Peter 4.11, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Embrace that truth. Embrace that, that everything is your passion, that you want God to be glorified in Jesus in everything and carry that into your week. A million, and I'm not exaggerating, practical applications that come when we get that proper orientation. It's a Copernican shift. You know what that means, right? People used to think the earth was the center. And then we realize it's not. The sun is at the center. We orbit around the sun. It's exactly what this is pointing us to with Jesus. He's not our cheerleader. We exist for his glory. Here's where we're going to end this morning. I want us to end by being amazed because one of the things that makes Jesus so amazing is how much love he shows to the supporting characters in this story. Right? We start off in this story as villains, as rebels, as the enemy army and this main character comes and he pursues us and he dies for us and he shares his reward with us and he invites us to come and live in his castle with him and he makes us his brothers and sisters and he does more than we could ever have dreamed to imagine, let alone ask. And so that's just where I want us to end this morning. We're going to end by singing, and can it be? How, how can this even be true? And there's really no answer to that except that it is. Because that's the kind of person that Jesus is. Jesus, would you help us to, to really get our, our hearts wrapped around this this morning? That from first to last, it's about you. That you hold the keys to the age to come. You are the judge, Jesus. You are the giver of life. And yet in, a, in amazing love, you've brought these things back and have given them 
to us as a gift now. And that today, Jesus, we can experience eternal life. We can experience being righteous in you. We don't have to be afraid. We have peace with God through you. Jesus, would you help us to love that? Would you help us to love you? Would you help us to love, Jesus, our, our role in this story? Just receiving your grace and making you look great. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.